man, we need to start by saying, I think we've got to say a lot of things, like we need to say Merry Christmas, <laughs> we need to say Happy New Year, and glad you're well. I think we can say all three of those things. Maybe pull me down just a little bit. I feel like I got like a Will Ferrell hot mic. Anybody catch that reference? I mean, that's a good one. Ooh, hot mic, hot mic. Sorry, anyway, maybe it was Sherry O'Terry that said that. Either way, Man, we're glad you're here. Um, if you haven't been around the past few weeks yet, we, you know, there, there was some sickness. There's still a little sickness going on, so I think this is one of those times to just remember, like, if you get up well tomorrow, um, which you're going to, I'm going to go ahead and declare that you're going to get up well tomorrow, uh, stop and pray for those who are not. Um, like, we have several partner churches around the city and around the state, and like, man, a lot of them just could not even get together today because there were so many people sick. And like pastor buddies of mine, like they've got it, and it's just, man, it is going around. And so uh, we don't want it, and we're going to pray against it, but we're also going to be wise and cautious. So I will say this. This will be my only statement about caution. Next Sunday, if Saturday night you went to bed with a scratchy throat on Sunday morning, this is what I want you to do. Stay at home, okay? If you were around somebody on Saturday that had a scratchy throat on Sunday morning, stay at home. Uh, we post the podcast by 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock on Sunday afternoon, so if you're, you're dying to listen to our series on Mark, in Mark, you can find that. And uh, so, hey, we just want to keep everybody well as possible. So I'm done with that. But anyway, good to see everybody. Uh, we are back, and uh, it's, man, it's good, good to be here. It's kind of crazy. Uh, it'll take me forever. Not that anybody really writes checks anymore, but I feel like that's the main place that you write the date. So the next time I write a check, it's going to take me a minute to stop and, and figure out that it's actually 2022, because I feel like as a kid, that's when most science fiction movies took place. You know, in the future, it was 2022, cars were flying, stuff like that. But we're here, and they're still not flying. But anyway, I'm so disappointed. But what I'm not disappointed at is that we're back in Mark. Nice segue. Yeah, so we are. We're back in our series in Mark. Uh, before Advent, we, we were there. We had been there for a little while. We're going to be there for a while to come. We are all the way in chapter 3. Um, and so, man, we're going to ride this pony until we're done. So um, we are excited about that. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Mark chapter 3, verse 31. Man, um, my wife got me something for Christmas. It's this bookmark that goes, and like most Bibles come with one ribbon in them. You know, that's, that's just standard. That's kind of like air conditioning now in a car. That's, that's standard stuff. But she bought me this cool bookmark that has all of these ribbons. Man, it's great. Like, I've got all of these, these built-in bookmarks now. So I'm super excited about that. But the first one is on Mark chapter 3, verse 31. To catch you up, if you have not been here, you can go back and listen to all of these. You can find them on Spotify or on the website and, and go through our past uh, several messages on Mark. But today, um, we're just looking at this small passage that very often is just kind of like four verses that are just kind of read over, and you're like, man, that was kind of weird, but we're going to talk about the weirdness in there today. We're going to talk about what's being said, what's not being said, uh, how it affects us, and why it's so important, and to be honest, like, this is one of these, these places to where, like, I love, I love this passage, because it does say something so incredibly vital that the church, like, must really wrap our hands around and hold on to, like, man, super tightly, uh, because the church in the United States, we've had, like, a very interesting history. Um, you know, a lot of people are going to view the church as political. A lot of people are going to view it as spiritual. Either way, it's been a little bit of both. But there's one thing that we have missed in the church, and I think we're, hopefully we're getting back to it. Um, but we've used a word a lot that we get from the Greek word koinonia, koinonia, which is, you know, community. We've used that word, but like I don't really think that we've understood it well. Because what we, eventually what church became 
you know, even around the 1950s, 1960s, 1970s, about the time that the church peaked in the United States, church was all about an event that took place on Sunday. Sunday morning, Sunday evening, maybe Wednesday night if you were a super active building kind of a deal. But the idea of community meant that you gathered together, you sat in the same place, you listened to the same thing, you sung the same songs, you did that, and that was community. The problem is if we only think about community as an event that takes place, as something that's scheduled, something that's wrapped around a building or an entity, man, we have missed like, man, 99% of what Jesus was saying. And today we're going to look at that. And so um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump in. We're going to read these verses. We're going to do a little catch-up, and then we're just going to talk about a couple things, like what he's saying, what he's not saying, and, and what that means to us. So let's pray together. God, we love you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you so much for Jesus. Um, God, we thank you that because of him we can have hope. Uh, we can live in peace. We can live in harmony with you. Um, and, God, we can have something called unity with the Father and with each other. And so, God, we are grateful for that today. Uh, as we look at your word, Father, today, I pray we do it well, that we do not add anything or take anything away. God, I pray that it's convicting because it's coming from you. But God, I also pray that it is empowering and directing. Um, and God, we thank you for it. Uh, we thank you for the ability just to sit, to sing, to listen, to learn. Um, and God, just to be on the same page, literally and figuratively today. Uh, thank you for being so good. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So let's read these few verses together first. Chapter 3, 31 through 35. And it said, And his mother and his brothers came, speaking of Jesus, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a great crowd sitting around him, they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about uh, those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Okay, so let's just toss this out there on face value. We read this and we're like, That's weird. That's okay. That's okay. Sometimes we read things in Scripture, and if we read them just in their sole place without actually taking in the idea something called context, you know, we, we can miss some things. And so in this particular place, like, there's a lot going on. Uh, first of all, we kind of have to go back a couple verses previous, and we have to understand all of the things that Jesus had done and, and the reaction that was taking place in a couple different crowds. Because there's always a few different crowds surrounding Jesus. There's the crowd of people that were doubters and wanted to catch him. At this point, there were those people. They were wandering around. They wanted to catch him. They wanted to find reason to kill him. They were those. There were his disciples. We see just previous, uh, for the first time, he named those 12, even though he had had people that were following him. And then, actually, there were people that were like biologically like his half family, like his, his mother, his birth mother, his brothers, his sisters, they were there. And so there were these varying crowds. And they had watched Jesus. They had watched him heal people. They had watched Jesus confront like established religious ideas. They had watched him actually say that some of these established religious ideas were going away. They were no longer valid. They had heard all of these things. They had seen all of these things. And in verse 20 of this same chapter, it says, they went home and a crowd gathered. It's not going to be there. It's not going to be on the screen. They went home and a crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard of it, they went out to seize him for they were saying, he is out of his mind. There are also people in this crowd, family included, that think Jesus is nuts. They think he's crazy. Because he's saying, to be honest, like compared to the religious norms for that day, he's saying some crazy stuff. Just a few verses previous or a few you know, lines previous in this text, up to a year previous, he had said, look, those, those wineskins that you're used to, if you try to put this new stuff in those old wineskins, 
It's not going to fit. Whoop. Just like that. It's not going to fit. It's not going to happen. That was my, my mic just popped out of my pocket. Uh, it's, it's not going to happen. And they heard these things, and like his family, they're looking at this guy that they grew up with, this guy that they had seen as a child, even going to the temple and display amazing wisdom. They're like, he's crazy. He's out of his mind. And at this place, the crowd was still there, um, and this family, they go, and they want to seek Jesus, and, and they, they want to take hold of him. They want to get him out of there because they think he's losing his mind. They want to protect him, maybe. Maybe they want to protect themselves. Either way, they're going to where he is, and they're like, man, we got to get him out. We need to extract Jesus. They're like, hey, we got an extraction mission right here on mile three. We're going to get him out, right? Anyway, I don't know why you're talking to your wrist like that. That's what movies do, but this new smartwatch that I've got, it might do something with that. I don't know. Anyway, so... Whew, man, the train is rolling today. But either way, his family thinks he's nuts. And there are other people in the crowd that think he's nuts too. And so Jesus says something. So after they, they, they come, they seek Jesus, um, they don't even go to Jesus, the crowd, I mean the family. They, they kind of give a message. It's kind of like the telephone game. You know, they, they could have withered their way in, but they didn't. Instead, they told somebody who told somebody. So they told the crowd, they're like, hey, can you tell Jesus to come out? Mother, brothers, we're out here. We, we want to see him. And so the crowd, they go to Jesus, and they tell Jesus. They're like, hey, your mom and your brothers, they're seeking you. And so Jesus answers in a weird way, because this is sometimes the way that Jesus did it. He answered with a question, and he answered his own question. And that was his answer. He answered with a question, and he answered with his own answer. Here's the way that he answered. So they came, and they said, your mother, your brothers, they're outside, and they're seeking you. And he answered them, and he said, who are my mother and my brothers? And I'm sure those people, they probably had a reaction not quite dissimilar from ours, but probably a little bit heightened. They were probably like, what are you, uh, what are you talking about? I'm pretty sure your mother and your brothers, they're outside. And so he begins his answer with, who are they? Like, really, who? When he answers his question, he's going to do it for a couple of reasons. Number one, he's going to answer his question for the crowd, for them to hear, for his disciples to hear, but he answers that question for us to hear too. And this is vital. I mean, this is, it, it's so big. Um, here's the way he answers his question. And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Now, obviously, here's the thing. We, we have to acknowledge that in this place, Jesus is speaking in hyperbole. That's actually pronounced hyperbole, but, but it reads to me like hyperbole. He's speaking in hyperbole. Because obviously the people sitting around him right now were not his mother, right? His mother was not in the crowd. She was outside the crowd saying, come here. They were not his literal half-blood brothers because they were outside the crowd asking him to come here. But he said, no, no, no. Like, who are my brother? Who's my brothers? Uh, no, no, no. These are the folks that are here. They're the ones who are doing the will of God. So taking the hyperbole down to literal, what he's saying is like, look, uh, you think my family's outside the crowd, but I'm telling you, no, no, no. My family's right here. My family right here. He's not using the word community, okay? No, he's using the word very, very literally, my mother and my brothers, which is, man, you winnow it down to its most literal form, that is family. He's like, look, my family is here, and the reason that I know my family is they're the people that are doing the same thing I am doing. They're doing the will of God. Man, for us, I, I think the crowd needed to hear that answer, but we desperately need to hear this answer. 
we must hear this answer and understand. And I will say it as long as I possibly can. And I am not speaking from a place of woundedness. But we have to understand that the church is not an occurrence. The church is not a building. The church is not an organization. The church is a family. Like the church is a group of people that have been bought with an incredibly high price, which is the very blood of Jesus, and now we are bound together, and not just bound together for the name of it, but we are bound together for the sake of it, and we're bound together for the mission of it, and we're bound together for the purpose of God's glory, His kingdom, and His mission. And we cannot miss that, because if we continue to function like the church is a building, or the church is an occurrence, or the church is a time and a place on a map or a calendar, we will not live up to the mission. It will not go any further. This country will cease to know God the Father through Jesus the Son and be indwelled by the very Spirit of God. Because a building's not going to do it, a date is not going to do it, an occurrence is not going to do it. The only way that it will happen is if a people do it. That's the only way. And I know people may get upset at me saying this, but it would not matter if every building with a steeple on it and stained glass burned to the ground today as long as the people of God remember who they are. It would not matter. Because God's mission is not about a building. As beautiful as they are, as ornate as they are, as comfortable as they are, it's not about a building. It's never been about a building. The only time it's been about a building is when we made it about a building. That was our invention, not God's. He said, if you want to know who my family is, here's how you know. Two ways. They're sitting around me, and they're doing the will of God. Those are the only two qualifications. The only two qualifications of who Jesus' family is, they're sitting around him, and they're doing the will of God. And we have to ask the questions. Am I sitting near Jesus? Am I doing the will of the Father? And, if we, and it's that simple. Like, it really is. It's that simple. Now, we do have to understand this. If we read this in light of the rest of Scripture, we understand that there's no way that I can do the will of God without me actually submitting to God the Father and, and foregoing my desires. And that we do that through the gospel. Like, we don't do that through self-help. We don't do that through self-improvement. We don't do that through better works. No, no, no. We only do that through Jesus, the man who's talking about this right now. That's the only way. The only way that we can know and do the will of God is if we actually turn our will over to God and say, God, I want yours, not mine. The grand exchange. That's only through repentance. That's only through confession. That's only through acknowledging Jesus as the one and only true son of God who came, who lived, who died. And we get to trust in his life, his death, his resurrection so that we can be made right with God. It doesn't matter how many times we go into confession with somebody. It doesn't matter how many times we do great works. It doesn't matter how many checks we write. None of that matters. The only thing that matters is just Jesus. If we want to know the will of God and do the will of God, it all hinges on him, period. We know that by looking at the rest of Scripture. And then because of that, not only do we get to know the will of God, do the will of God, man, we actually get to sit near Jesus. And if we do those two things, we're family. And we're not only his family, but we're each other's family. So he's telling the crowd, but he's also telling us a couple things that he's not doing here. And, and I think we need to hear this because I think this passage has been taken way out of context for a majority of the world. Um, he's not saying that the mother and the brothers outside of the crowd are no longer his family. Hear that. Like he's not saying they're not his family anymore. Because if he was, when he was on the cross and he pointed to his mother and pointed to John, uh, and he said, hey, uh, mom, I love you. I want you to have a son. 
Here he is, John. John, I love you. I want you to have a mother. Here she is, Mary. He would have been contradicting himself. So he's not saying abandon family. Like, not saying abandoning blood family. Not by our choosing. As a matter of fact, we need to, we need to love them well, love them towards Jesus. If they don't know Jesus, we need to pursue them. We have to do that. But there is an acknowledgement that by choosing Jesus, our family may very well unchoose us. They may very well unchoose us. And we'll get to that in a minute. So his answer was not condemning family. It was just, man, indicating that we need to do this. When we submit to God through the gospel, man, it makes us family. We have to see that. The way that the gospel makes us family, I think there are two ways before we get to what we do with this. Um, if we go to Romans 8, 15 through 17, this continues this idea uh, of what this looks like. And these ribbons are great. Abby can't hear me, but thank you, Abby. She's with kids today. It says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery or bondservanthood to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The first way that we can see and identify that, man, we have been made family is very simply this. We all have the same daddy. I want it to be that simple. Like, we need to understand, like, it is that simple. If we're trying to figure out how the gospel actually makes us family, Jesus is pointing it out that we're all family, but how does that happen? Well, we've all got the same dad. As a result of this grand adoption that we have taken part in through the gospel, like, man, we get to cry out. Like, Abba, Father, a lot of people say that that's Daddy. It, it's close. That's probably the closest thing, but it's more of like this, man, this intimate way of calling out to our Father. Like, whatever that is, however you grew up. But it's also, there's some reverence attached to it. So it's just not like, you know, Daddy, but it's like, Daddy. <laughs> you know, I know. It's all about, you know, it's all about emphasis. But, I mean, it's just like, it's like the intimate way in which we respect our Father. We all are granted that. Through this, this beautiful gospel, this way of abandoning our sin, choosing Jesus instead, like, man, now we get to actually be united with God the Father. We all have the same dad, every one of us. Now, again, it doesn't mean that I abandon my earthly father. Like, Don Elrod will always be my dad, king of corny jokes, um, very slow, you know, all of those things that makes my dad my dad. Like, he takes two hours to do a 30-minute journey, and that's, that's who he is. And, man, his favorite joke is what he called 24-hour Chinese restaurant, walk around the clock. Yeah, I mean, that's hilarious. That's my dad. Like, I don't abandon that dad. But it does mean now that I have been given a dad that, that doesn't mess up, that doesn't have flaws. He's perfect. He's holy, holy, holy. The Trihagian God, like he's all of those things. As a result of this by grace through faith exchange, like I get that dad, my heavenly father, and I've been united with him. But not just me, but everyone throughout all of time, all of history, past, present, and future, who calls on the name of Jesus so that we might be made one with God, they get to call on dad the same way. You get to call on dad the same way. And as a result of you having the same dad as I do, we're family family. And if we continue on in Galatians 2, 3, chapter 28, we'll pop that up there. It says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Like, I think the best example of this growing up for me was like the dinner table. It was like the dinner table. Like, I know that a lot of people didn't grow up around a dinner table like I had. Like, uh, we were four of us kids, my siblings are triplets, I'm not one of them, I was the normal one that was born four years later. But, like, our table, when we sat down at that table, man, it was, it was on. 
but it was all, we were all equal. We were all at that same place. We were all one family eating from the same bowls, from the same plates, and nobody was treated any differently because we were all just that one family around that one table. And I got to see that growing up, and I'm incredibly blessed to have seen that growing up. We try to replicate that for our kids so that they can see that. But I think it teaches me that more, probably better than anything, that, man, it's not about him, not about her, not about you, not about them. Now it's just about us. We are us. We've all got the same dad, and we're now just one big family. And no matter what happens, you know, the other thing about that dinner table, if you said something to offend one another, when you got up from that table, it didn't matter. You were still brother and sister. Didn't matter. Didn't change the fact that you were still family. Within this family, I can guarantee at some point you are going to tick someone off. You're going to post something. You're going to say something. Someone's going to get mad, and you have a choice right there. Do I acknowledge that family is not broken by stupidity? That's the, that's the right answer. Or do I allow myself to be selfish and say, they hurt my feelings, I'm walking away. I'm taking my ball and I'm going home. We don't get to do that. We don't get to do that. We go to them and say, hey, you said this, hurt my feelings. Uh, You know, what's that about? Deal with it, because that's what family does. If my brother took the last roll and I wanted that roll, I would address it. Because I like bread. Bread makes me happy. I need to give it up. But either way, family. And we're family. The world needs to see it. Like the world needs to see a people that are bound together under one dad, with one Savior, with one Spirit in us. The world desperately needs to see it. If we look at Acts chapter 2, we see the result of that, the very first family kind of a deal. You know what happened as a result of the world seeing them living like that, sitting around one table, eating from the same bowl, putting in, taking out at the same time? Man, it said the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Not necessarily because of the words that they were saying, but because of what they were witnessing them do. The way that they loved one another got to start acting like family because it's not just about you and me it's also about a world here's the beautiful thing about this family that we've been graced with even if your blood family your genetic family even if they do disown you we won't we won't if we do we're in the wrong we're in sin and we need to be told we're not going to disown you we can't Because we've been sealed with something that's eternal, something that can't be taken away, something that can't be washed away, a bond that can't be broken. It's Jesus' blood, and it runs through every single one of us if we have confessed him as Lord and made him our Savior. Like, we we can't break that. I I met this guy when I was probably 17 or 18, and his name was Ishmael, and he was from Tanzania. Amazing believer. Tanzania is mostly a Muslim country, and and I got to sit and listen to his story for the first time, and uh, he, uh, he gave his life to Christ. And when he did, he became homeless because his family kicked him out. They didn't want him anymore. He got a new family. He got a new family that wasn't contingent upon false ideas, but it was contingent upon eternal truth, and that was Jesus. And you hear him talk about it, and yes, there was was pain there, but at the same time, there was great joy because he realized that what he got, man, was amazing. What he got was amazing. So your family very, very may well kick you out if you claim Christ. It could happen. Back in these times, like in the times in which Jesus was speaking, that wasn't normal for the Jewish folks for that to happen. Like a lot of the Jewish folks, like if they actually started to claim Jesus, their immediate family probably wouldn't disown them. 
they would probably think they were a little bit nuts, but they would probably still keep them. But most of the pagan folks or the Gentiles at the time, if they started to claim Jesus, a lot of their families would. They'd be like, you're out of here. You're gone. They needed to hear that all of these that are sitting around me right now, proximally and also relationally, man, they're family now. There's great family here. There's great roots here. There's stuff here. They needed to hear it. Maybe you need to hear it. Maybe you've been afraid to tell your family because you're afraid they're going to cut you loose. If they do, we got you. I can't replace your dad. I don't want to replace your dad. I can't replace your brother, but I'll be a new one. I look at Neil. I know he'll be a new one. Got the same dad. Here's the other way that we can see that the gospel makes us family or one way that it does it. He looked around and he said, it's not only the people that are sitting around me, was one qualification, but the other, he says, but whoever does the will of God, he is my brother, he is my sister, and my mother. The other way that the gospel makes us family is it puts us all on the same mission. So not only do we have the same dad, but we have the same mission. And if you talk to people anecdotally, like this is just practicality. We're not even getting to the spirituality part of it, but practically. Like, man, I, I'm, I'm not a veteran. But you talk to people, and I've got buddies that did. They, they, they served in combat. They had all these things. Man, the people that they're closest to are the people that they were in foxholes with, the people that they were in a Humvee with, because they were doing the same thing every single day. They depended on each other to make sure that it got done, and they became brothers, probably closer than the brothers that they knew. I guarantee you can talk to Zach back there about how that worked out in the Army, how it works out in the Marines, how it works out. Man, for us... If we're all going after the same thing with the same people for the same reason, it will bond you. It will make you into family. Like, it will. Like, practically speaking, there's no way around it. Like, it will do it. Like, I think if you grew up in the church culture, like, remember, like remember the first foreign mission trip that you went on to a third world country. Like, I mean, I think this is a great training ground for a lot of people. You go to a third world country where you don't speak the language, you don't understand the food, you probably all get the same gastrointestinal distress, you get it together... Remember that bond that you had on the way home. Remember the bond that you had for several weeks. Maybe you didn't cultivate it. Maybe you didn't keep it up. But there was a huge bond there because you were doing the same thing with the same people for the same reason. And it bonded you. For us, it's the same thing. Like if we're on the same mission with the same people for the same reason and we're continually doing it, there's no way we won't come out of that as family. There's no way. Like for us, the mission, like we're going to talk about it frequently. Like, hey, we're here to make disciples who love God, love one another, and love this city. If we're doing that together, we're doing it repeatedly, we're doing it consistently, and we're doing it with the same people, byproduct will be family. And the other byproduct is God's going to grow the family. And I can't wait to see that. I, I love having watched that already, the way that it's played out. Like, I love that. And I'll always love that. I want us all to love that, what that looks like. Spiritually speaking, not from the, the practical standpoint, but from the spiritual standpoint, Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's craftsmanship, his workmanship, his masterpiece. We were created and placed in good works that he had made beforehand. Like we have been taken out of where we were as sinners seeking our own will into God's place, God's kingdom, seeking his will, his mission. Supernaturally, we've been placed into a mission together. And the sooner that we realize we're a family on mission together, the sooner this mission gets done well. Like supernaturally speaking, yes, we've been given the same dad, but we've been given the same mission, and so we've got to go after it together. And God also knew that it was going to take more than one person to do the mission, and that's the reason he came to redeem a people, not a person. A people, 
We've been a people that have been given the same God, given the same Father, given the same Spirit, uh, through the same Savior, and we've been placed on the same mission together. Supernaturally, God said, look, I need a people to go after and do this so that they can find the people that need me like it takes a people. And think more, like, I think we have to go beyond workforce too because I think very often we try to recruit workers. We try to recruit like non-paid employees. It's not going to work. Because you know what happens when you clock out with a non-paid employee? You're not family. You go home. This is different. This is different. Like, I'm, I'm grateful that my best friends are a part of this church. And they weren't my best friends before Origins existed. I'm grateful for that. Now, I'm not saying that if your best friends aren't a part of this church that you're doing something wrong. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying I'm grateful for that. But I am saying be open to it. Be open to the people that you know the best, the people that know you best, or are a part of the same faith family that you're a part of. And if it's not this church, that's okay. Maybe go seek one that it is. And you're saying, you're telling me to leave? No, 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 I'm not telling you to leave, but I'm telling you that the family that you worship with should be the family that you do life with. That's what it looks like. And I look around and I see a lot of those people that we do life with, and I'm, man, I'm, I'm grateful for that. Same mission. So what do we do what do we do with this? Man, I think for those people that were sitting around Jesus, their reaction was probably pretty similar. But these are the, the three things I think we need to do. And for me, most of the time, application is going to start here in my brain um, or in my heart. I think the first thing is, man, we need to be incredibly grateful. Incredibly grateful of this display of grace. Like this... And it is, like it is a true display of grace. It is one more evidence of the grace that we get to live in that as a result of Jesus, we now get this new family. This new family, this new family that can't disown us. And that's the reason I love that it uses the idea of adoption in Romans because adoption then was a whole lot different than adoption now. Like that adoption then, it meant that I am going to bring you into my family and no matter what, I cannot send you out of my family. As a matter of fact, back in those days, like if your birth son did something stupid and embarrassed your family, you could kick him out. You could. You could say, hey, you are no longer a part of my family. But if you contractually agreed to adopt someone, it didn't matter what they did. You could not get rid of them. You could not get rid of them. Culturally, legally. Same thing that God does with us. Man, if we truly give ourselves over to him through Jesus, the Spirit comes in and seals us. There's no way that God's going to kick us out. Man, we, we do. We need to be incredibly grateful that we've been given the same dad and we've also been given each other. So our relationship is vertical, it's horizontal. Be incredibly grateful. And I think it's something that we thank God for on a regular basis. God, thank you for the new family you've given me. And we, we say it out loud. And sometimes we need to actually thank people. I need to say water. Thank you for being family. Mages. Thank you guys for being family. We need to say it frequently. Be grateful. The second thing, and this one's kind of multifaceted, need to embrace it. Need to embrace it. All of the lessons that maybe you learned growing up with family, like all the things that I grew up with, with having brothers and sisters who were my best friends, like I need to actually integrate that into the way that I do life with these people, with you people, with us people. I need to embrace it. I, I, I need to, man, I need, we need to have fun with each other. That's one. 
And I know you're at church and you're being told you need to have fun. You are. Like, yes, we need to have fun. We need to enjoy it. We need to embrace this and all of the benefits of family. Like, we need to enjoy time together. We need to laugh together. We need to learn together. We need to grow together. We need to trust in one another. Sometimes we trust each other with our sin. We confess it so that someone can pray for us. We trust each other with our struggle. We trust each other with the victories that we have. We embrace what it means to be family. We share meals together. We do all of those things. Embrace family. We're grateful for it. We say thank you for it, and then we embrace it. Look at all of the benefits. Look at all of these things that actually are like grace gifts as a result of Jesus with people attached. Embrace it. Man, over the past, <laughs> man, I guess it's 10 weeks on Tuesday. It's been a crazy 10 weeks for me. Like, uh, it, it has. Like, I've still got a walker to, to demonstrate a little bit, but it's been nuts. I mean, it has. Like, I went from ICU to out of ICU to coming home and realizing that we had a family that was going to feed us for a month and a half. Thank you. Thank you for that. My wife didn't, she didn't have to worry about those things, and she did, man, she did a ton. Like, I don't know how she's still standing. I need to send her on a vacation to get away from, from me for a little while. She won't do it, but I, I need to try. So if you have any ideas on how to do that, let's, let's make it happen. But thank you for embracing that aspect of family, to making sure that we didn't want for anything. In the midst of crazy, ridiculous uncertainty, we never doubted who loved us. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. You embraced it well. Let's continue, not just to my family, but to all of them. Embrace it. Enjoy it. Live in it. And then we, we also get to display it. Like, people need to see that and understand it. Like, it's not something, like, I'm not a big man toot things on social media pastor or person like I'm not. Um, but I, but I, I share about you with words all the time to people. How amazing this faith family really is. What God has built. Those who aren't here, I, I hope they get to hear it too. God's built something pretty amazing. Embrace it. The third thing is we just need to strive together. We need to work together. Like this, the mission that exists in this city and in your neighborhoods and in your workplaces, it's bigger than any individual or any one couple can do. It just is. Like we share the stat frequently that even, I think it was seven years ago, 90% of people in 29601 on a Sunday morning were not in a place of worship. 90% in the zip code. That statistic has probably gone up as transplants have come in. 90%. Nine out of ten. Let me put it in as many terms as we can. Nine out of ten people living in 29601, 78 to 80,000 people, not in a place of worship on a given Sunday morning. Now, we can't pretend to understand where their hearts are, but we do have to understand that an expression of us knowing God is actually worshiping God together with other people. So we can extrapolate a little bit, do a little calculations, and we can come to the conclusion that most of those people probably do not know Jesus. That mission's bigger than any one couple can handle. That mission's bigger than any two couples can handle, three couples, four families. It doesn't matter. It's going to take a lot of families working together for the same God, for the same mission, at the same time, with the same diligence for this mission to happen, for it to go forward, for us to make disciples who love God, love one another, and love this city. It's going to take us all, all of us. Strive together. 
be grateful for it, man, embrace it. But then after those things, man, let's buckle down and work together for the glory of God, for the sake of his kingdom, for the sake of people who do not yet know Jesus. And then after they come to know Jesus, we get to teach them what it really means to follow Jesus. It's called discipleship. Let's do that. I think the people in that crowd on that particular day, this would have been pretty shocking. And it would have been a little bit life-changing. Because they were used to people with certain robes and certain cords and certain beards doing all the work if they were Jewish. And they were told, all you have to do is show up. You may bring your sacrifices, you may say some words, you may place your sin on a specific animal on a specific day. You may show up for certain rituals and do those types of things. You may bring your offerings. But man, with Jesus, a lot of things changed. A lot of things changed. The robes and the cords no longer apply. Beards don't either, even though they're awesome on some people. Mine stops growing at some point. The biggest change is that God said, you know what? I've come to redeem a family and place them on mission so that that family can grow. I've come to redeem a family, place them on mission so that family can grow. And man, that's great news. Matter of fact, that's, that's gospel news. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you so much for Jesus. And we thank you for the changes that he brought, not just in history, but in us. In this family, for family. God, I thank you that as a result of the gospel, we can be close to Jesus. We can sit with him. We can learn from him. We can revolve around him, but also, God, because of him, we can know what you want for us. Know where you want us to go, know how you want us to live, know who you want us to live near and with. We can know your will, and we get to do your will. God, thank you for the numerous ways in which you display your grace upon us. And God, one of those ways is that we get to do all of this together as a family not just about Sundays, not just about community groups, but about life in general. God, thank you for that display of grace. God, I do pray like in the coming year, we, we truly do uh, share our gratefulness for that. God, we do embrace that. And God, we're willing to work together in light of it. God, I thank you for this family. I thank you for what you've done. I thank you for what you will do. And God, we want to give you all the glory for those things. So it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.